He's a retired DE agent. He's also a special agent in charge of the United States Department of Justice Special Operations Division. He coordinated the task force of multi-agency efforts that resulted in the capture of Sinaloa cartel kingpin El Chapo Guzman. He's been on CBS 60 Minutes, NBC, CNN, more. And he's here to talk about the link between the southern border, cartels, and terrorists. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Calling us from Virginia, we have Derek Maltz on the phone. Derek, I'm going to tell you a little bit of his resume in a moment. Before I do that, Derek, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate what you're doing every day. You've been on the show before, and and also thank you for your service. Derek is retired DEA agent. They have different levels in there. I'll, I'll give you a little brief glimpse of his resume. He was special agent in charge of the United States Department of Justice Special Operations Division for almost ten years. He held the chief of the New York Drug Enforcement Task Force, the DEA, the largest drug task task force in America. He's been on sixty Minutes, CNN, NBC. He is an expert. When it comes to drugs, drug cartels, immigration, and the links to terror groups. Did I pretty much cover all of it? Yeah, Jay, I appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'll be honest with you. You've done all right for a guy. Were well, you from Brooklyn originally? I'm from Long Island, and I grew up in a family. My father was a DEA agent for 30 years, so it was in my DNA, Jay. Gotcha. So you've been out of this uh, for a while, but you've still got your thumb on everything's going on. You still work in the field, right? Yeah, I mean, Jay, the bottom line is, is my brother died in the military in 2003 and enduring freedom. So I have a lot of passion for national security, public safety. But more importantly, I do anything to support the men and women on the front lines that are fighting every day for our safety, our freedoms. And so I'm engaged every day with law enforcement around the world to try to stay up on the issues that are threatening our national security. And thanks for continuing to do that because you, you've been you've been retired. You put in your time. You did your bit. When I thought about this, uh, and I don't do politics on this show. I don't do a partisan political show at all. Uh, but with the new presidential administration, they're making big changes at the southern border. And I was like, we got to talk about this. Who can I talk to? And Derek was the first name that popped up because, man, you're an expert in that field. Well, Jay, thank you. I mean, look. The bottom line is majority of the issues that I speak about are really not political. They should be completely bipartisan issues because they're impacting the security and safety of the citizens around America. Whether you're a Republican, Independent, or Democrat, you're still facing the same national security issues. We're in this together. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't like to get involved with the political discussions. However... I will tell you that I get very upset when I hear anything about open borders. Open borders is a recipe for disaster. Any expert that has any knowledge of the southwest border, or even the northern border for that matter, will tell you that it's a failure, and it will, it will, we will feel the pain of that for many years. 
So we have to be vocal. We appreciate the fact that you're talking about this topic. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of people in Washington are out of touch of the reality that's going on every day on the southwest border. And I wish more of them would get on a plane and go down there and talk to the experts because all of the experts from the Customs and Border Protection are all saying the same things, but the politicians aren't listening. It's almost as if they're afraid to be labeled. And it's almost impossible to have this conversation without someone coming up with a label. And I want to explain right away. I'm not anti-immigrant. My grandparents were Irish immigrants. In my day job at the radio cluster where I work, half the people have immigrated to the United States from Mexico or Colombia or Venezuela. And and they did it the, the right way. I have no problem with that. I don't think Derek has a problem with that, but people are so quick to throw that label out there when we're talking about life and death issues. We're not talking about ethnicity or race. Right. And Jay, like I am 100% behind legal immigration. Some of the nicest people out there in America and some of my friends are legal immigrants. They're hard workers. They're very loyal family people. And they, they put in a really honest day's work, right? And I really appreciate the immigrants, but there's a process. We have to follow the process. But bottom line is, is now more than ever with COVID and some of these bugs that are around the world, we have to have very strict protocols and laws to enforce public safety measures as well. This is not just a national health security crisis that we're in. But it also impacts our national security. Just look, a couple of weeks ago, they had 11 Iranians that they stopped at the border, right? You Can you imagine how many special interest aliens are lining up in Central America and Mexico looking to get into this country? And that's really serious for this country's national security. So we have to have a process. We have to stay current with the laws. And we have to get the politicians more educated to make the right decisions. For not for any one political group, but for America. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. When I first met Derek, it was at a conference in, in Washington, D.C. And at that time, you know, I said my grandparents immigrated from Ireland. I applied for dual citizenship, the country of Ireland. And if you have a grandparent born there, you can apply for it. That was almost two years ago. It still has not come through. And by the way, that's what a lot of people call a socialist country. But to, to go there, you can go and stay for three months but then you got to leave. You can't work. They're so strict about their immigration policies, even though they thrive on tourism. Right now, COVID has killed that. And yet our country is afraid to address the issues that this so-called socialist country has no problem talking about. Right. No, exactly, Jay. I mean, it, it goes beyond that. I mean, look at the wall, for an example, right? Walls work, right? Just look at the wall around the Capitol. Why did they erect a wall if it doesn't if it doesn't work right so we want a wall on the southern border so people are forced to go into the poes right and go through the process and to to address the customs and border protection folks and provide their identification get the health screenings have the greatest and latest technology to screen their vehicles and to screen their you know possessions so we can identify any contraband any illnesses and make sure people all have the right paperwork to get into america There's nothing wrong with that. And it's amazing to me that the politicians are just not taking the time to learn the issues. And they should be lining up to say, I don't protect Americans. I want to protect uh, the way of life. 
They're doing it in other countries. And they are, they're not embarrassed about it, nor should they be embarrassed about it. And they should be concerned about the safety and welfare of everyone in their country. Right. And you're like, Jay, if you look at just right now, the unbelievable, unprecedented drug crisis we have in America, specifically with methamphetamine and fentanyl, this poisonous drug, these poisonous chemicals are coming into this country and killing Americans like we've never seen in the history of the country. The latest CDC stats, 12-month period ending May of 2020, have 81,000-plus Americans dead from overdoses of these dangerous drugs. And what a lot of people are failing to realize is that the vast majority of the overdose deaths are attributed to fentanyl, not overprescribing medication. The doctor, the pharmacies that were all involved 15, 20 years ago, we kind of did a good job, you know, a little late, but... The country put a lot of pressure on We're going to take a, a short break. We're talking with Derek Maltz. We're going to talk about the southern border. We're going to talk about drug cartels, links with terrorism, and so much more. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Being switched on is a daily decision. The Switched On Life podcast provides life-saving tips for the entire family. No matter where you play or pray, stay switched on. Go to Switched On Life to learn more. Return our conversation with Derek Baltz, retired DEA agent, is also, man, he's got such a long resume. I'll butcher it. I'm not going to do it here. Before we went to break, Derek, you started talking about the overdose deaths and, and how we maybe a little late, but we did a good job on the doctors overscribing. I had a guest on the show uh, about a month or so ago named Charlotte Bismuth. Charlotte is a former prosecutor from Manhattan, and she is part of the team that investigated New York's deadliest pill pushing doctor. And it took him four years to investigate and prosecute this guy, get a successful prosecution. And one of his clients for lack of better words was the guy who murdered three people at a pharmacy in long island during a robbery and this is has been a big problem in america for a long time it was a problem before you and i were even on the streets in law enforcement right so jay i mean look the over prescribing problem has been going on for many years unfortunately the u.s government and the state and local governments were very slow to react but ultimately people started realizing they had to do a better job at controlling the distribution. Uh, you look at the Washington Post story that they did, outstanding work. 100 billion opioid pills were pushed into America in a nine-year time frame, right? And so the population got very addicted, and they needed their fix. They weren't getting the right treatment. They weren't getting the rehabilitation. So they went to the streets. And unfortunately, the Mexican cartels took total advantage of the vulnerabilities of these addicted people. And so they started putting out very high, pure heroin at first. And then ultimately, they started realizing a better way to make money is to mix it with fentanyl. And they had no idea what they were doing. There's no quality control. So people were dying. And now they're getting involved with the counterfeit pills. They're working with China, bringing in the chemicals. So it's really a perfect storm for death and destruction. But unfortunately, our politicians are so out of touch of the reality they're still patting themselves on the back when they do some legislation on overprescribing. 
They don't even realize that it's coming over the southwest border, and it's coming from the cartels, it's coming from China, and we're way behind. But unfortunately, the families and communities around this country are suffering. And I deal with families every day that are telling stories about how their little loved one, 22, 23-year-old, that was never involved with drugs, all of a sudden popped a Xanax, popped a, uh, a counterfeit M30 oxy pill, and died. They, they went upstairs and found him dead. Look at that story last week in L.A. where the uh, TV personality lost her 16-year-old son who bought some drugs over the uh, Snapchat application. And all of a sudden, the public's talking about this. This is happening every day. Right. They're every day, every, you know, Americans all over the country. But because some Los Angeles uh, media personality, and God bless her family, but now all of a sudden people are saying, wait, how did this 16-year-old buy fentanyl on the internet like what's going on here but it's coming over the border every day and it's a serious problem it's coming in with these caravans and we're talking about open borders that's a disgrace and this is not a political statement this is about the safety and security of our people because it's everybody that's being affected it doesn't matter what walk of life it doesn't matter the economic picture the race the gender the sexual identity it doesn't matter all these people uh, they have members of family who are dying. I'll be honest with you, Derek. I don't know of anybody who hasn't been touched by the drug problem that's had either an overdose where they barely survived, uh, they've been in and out of jail, or they died. Absolutely. I mean, I have friends in the DEA who have lost their children from overdose deaths. I have friends all over this country that have lost people because of fentanyl, because of the counterfeit pills. But, you know, one of the issues that I've been talking about for a few years, which is finally starting to catch on, is how China's involved with the chemicals that are producing these drugs, right? And so, unfortunately, China is a huge national security threat on its own. But now, when they're getting involved with all aspects of the drug crisis, I mean, what people in America don't realize is that right now in this country, the Mexican cartels, guess who they're using for their primary money laundering services. The Mexicans are using the Chinese. Ethnic Chinese all over America that have sophisticated ways of moving money around the world under the radar. Law enforcement is not equipped with the informants, with the language, with the culture of the Chinese, and they're beating us, and they're moving millions and millions and millions of dollars every day through casinos, through real estate, and it's going back to China. They're buying consumer goods, moving the goods to South America, Mexico, Central America, and the drug traffickers are getting paid. So China has a very intricate role in the crisis we're facing in America. And this is a big issue that nobody's really discussing. But the reality is, is it, it all has to do with that southwest border because the cartels have now figured out a way to produce their own fentanyl in labs in Mexico and in, in addition to the methamphetamines that they're producing at record levels, they're pushing in the fentanyl in the counterfeit pills, and that's what's causing all the death and destruction in America now. So we have a huge issue at that border, and I only wish the Washington, D.C. politicians and the others around the country would just take the time to learn more about it. And that's why, Jay, I've been very vocal about this, because I just want them to understand it so they make the right decisions. And that's the only issue. Like, they're not making decisions based on the reality of what's going on. They're making political decisions in a vacuum. How do we get their attention? 
Well, look, I can tell you for an example, the mothers and fathers of kids that have lost their loved ones are forming a protest or a march or a peaceful protest, whatever you want to call it, in front of the Chinese embassy in D.C. as an example. Because they want to put the spotlight that the Chinese are involved in murdering their kids. People don't understand that. Like, COVID is one thing, right? What, how many people have we lost to COVID, right? But now the fact that these synthetic chemicals are made in Wuhan labs being sent to Mexico and being sent to our, our, our children in the Internet and through the mail, right? Okay, it's killing kids instantly. This is coming from communist China. That's a huge issue. How is it possible that Joe Biden speaks to the president of Mexico and there's no discussion and nothing came out in the news about this crisis? How's that possible? Mainstream media needs to cover this national security threat because we have a chemical weapon attack on our country and no one's even talking about it. If they were firing, if if they were firing bullets across the border. Uh, or artillery, and it was killing the same number of people, there would be a totally different reaction, wouldn't there? Hey, Jay, let's look at it like this. If al-Qaeda had one pound of chemical weapons in Mexico, what do you think the U.S. government would be doing? They'd be going all over it. Absolutely. Front page news, but guess what? One kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds of fentanyl, can kill 500,000 people. Two little milligrams can kill a person. Right. Do the math. Right. That that can wipe out an entire state and no one's even talking about it. That's what really bothers me. We're going to talk more about this because there's also a link between the drug cartels, the the immigrant mules, for lack of better words, and terror groups. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We'll be back with our conversation with Derek Maltz in just a few moments. Catch all the episodes of Law Enforcement Today Show as a podcast for free do a google search for law enforcement today podcast or just go to letradioshow.com click the be heard tab and you'll find us right there don't go anywhere we'll be right back are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts head to letradioshow.com click be heard and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Derek Maltz, retired DE agent, and much more. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little bit more of his resume towards the end of the show. Before we went to break, Derek, you were talking about China's link with fentanyl and other chemical agents that are being shipped to the Chinese drug cart, I mean, the Mexican drug cartels, and then being shipped across the border and sold to our kids and killing young people in America at record numbers. Am I, am I making too small or uh, too narrow of a picture of this? Yeah, so let's just back up a second. So the Chinese criminal groups have been providing the precursor chemicals to the Mexican cartels for the production of meth for many, many years, decades, right? So this isn't anything new. If you go back to 2007, there was a very well-publicized case in Mexico. There was a Chinese national who was arrested, and they seized $207 million in $100 denominations in his house in Mexico City. He was a, he was a citizen. Uh, he was a Chinese national who was operating out of the United States as well. He was a big-time gambler. And nobody can understand, like, what the heck was he doing? It turns out that he was a pseudo-ephedrine 
chemical broker with the Chinese and the Mexican cartels. So just to give you an idea of the volume of money we're talking about. So Chapo Guzman and other cartel leaders recognized the demand for meth in America. So they started putting together these industrial-sized methamphetamine laboratories to produce ton quantities of meth every week. And they were pushing the meth into America and very, very pure meth, too, Jay. Not like the meth back in the old days in the mom-and-pop labs in Kansas City and Nebraska and, you know, parts of North Carolina, South Carolina. We're talking about production of meth like we've never seen. So, as an example, in Los Angeles, there was a reported record seizure of, like, 2,000 pounds of meth. There was another seizure of 3,000 pounds in, in San Diego. There's in Atlanta, thousands of pounds, 2,000 pounds. There's always a big seizure of meth now. You know why? Because the production is through the roof. That's because the supply of chemicals is off the charts coming from China, right? But now in the fentanyl side, the Mexican cartels realize they need to save some money on the production processes. So now what they're doing is getting the precursor chemicals for fentanyl shipped right to, to Mexico and they have labs all over Mexico to make the fentanyl. But the problem is they really don't know what they're doing. They don't have an FDA approval process. So the, so the fentanyl is coming into to America and killing people instantly because it's poison and they don't know what they're getting. But let me back up. In 2010, we started seeing synthetic cannabinoids like synthetic marijuana, K2 spice, all over the streets of America and we started seeing people having psychiatric reactions. They were having respiratory issues, death. And it was in 2018 in D.C., in New Haven, Connecticut, in, in New York City, in Chicago, we had people dropping all over the place. That's because the synthetic drugs that were coming from China, somebody was putting rat poison in the synthetics. So they were trying to hurt Americans, right? So this isn't anything new. The Chinese are a communist country. And they want to undermine our, uh, you know, destabilize our country. So what better way of doing it than through the use of drugs, right? So you look at the Afghani kingpins for years. They said selling drugs to the West is like a jihad against the West. We could kill them and we can make millions of dollars at the same time. So in my opinion, from my years of experience, Jay, this is what we have. We have a chemical jihad against our country and the Chinese are intricately involved and they're benefiting in ways that nobody can even imagine, undermining our society. I've had guests on this show that were assigned to DEA, and they were in Afghanistan, and they talked about not being able to destroy poppy fields, knowing that this product was become heroin, and knowing full well as when we shipped the United States, and knowing it'd be going in people's arms and killing people. Right. I mean, that's been a problem for years, right? The eradication programs have been under such scrutiny. I mean, a lot of people... They had sympathy for the farmers that were trying to earn a living in Afghanistan and other poor countries, so they didn't want to destroy their crops and everything. So it's a very complex issue. But right now, Jay, in my opinion, we are at a crisis stage, and all you have to do is look at the statistics. Over 210 a day dying in America from drug overdoses and predominantly from fentanyl. As, as an example, there's a coroner report out from... Franklin County, Ohio, in the first six months of 2020, 85% of the deaths were attributed to fentanyl. 85%. But you wouldn't know that reading the newspaper or watching mainstream media because they're still talking about this as an overprescribing issue. 
It's like so out of touch of reality. And that's what the politicians in Washington think, that people are dying because they took mommy and daddy's pill from the medicine cabinet. No, they're dying because communist China and Mexico are pushing this stuff right over the southwest border. And these illegals are coming in with the stuff, and they're setting up command and control throughout America so they can help the cartels make billions of dollars. And it's about money and politics and control. And I'm going to say this. I know Derek probably can't. A lot of these politicians, and I'm talking both sides of the aisle, are afraid to say or do anything because they don't want to upset the apple cart between trade with Mexico, China, or whatever status quo is. And a lot of people are being killed. So, Jay, I can comment on that because we have a recent example. So the DEA in Los Angeles put together a very tight case on the former Secretary of Defense of Mexico. He was very involved with the cartels. He was very corrupt at the highest levels of the Mexican government. He came to the United States on vacation. They arrested him based on an indictment at the Eastern District of New York. Well, when the Mexican government, President Alamo, got wind of this, they put the pressure on the U.S. State Department, and ultimately the former Attorney General Bill Barr decided to send him back to Mexico, release him from custody, send him back to Mexico. Now we have the president of Mexico making up information, putting out that the DEA fabricated the evidence on the former Secretary of Defense. And nobody in America is stepping up and defending this because that's not what DEA does. DEA did a very thorough investigation, had excellent evidence. How do I know that? Because I talked to the people making the cases, right? Excellent evidence. An indictment was put forth. And the Department of Justice just doesn't indict people because they have nothing better to do, right? They had evidence... And now the Mexican government put together a new law, and the president signed it, which prevents the DEA and other foreign agents from working in Mexico. There's certain protocols now put in place, which is going to expose the informants, and it's going to put our agents and informants and families at risk because the Mexicans want to know everything that's being done against these corrupt government officials. Without the corrupt government officials... You can't run a cartel. And that's what's going on in Mexico. And it's not just Mexico. It's Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. But now the Biden administration wants to give them $4 billion to help them build up capabilities in their country. Now, I'm not opposed to giving them money because they need money to build some. They need the expertise of America. But we have to understand the level of corruption, because if you give the money to the wrong people and you don't have accountability, it's just going to the corrupt politicians. The same could be said about a lot of American cities where I came from, Baltimore. Millions and millions and millions of dollars have been given to West Baltimore, to Winchester, to Sandstown, all those areas, and nothing has changed. The only people that seem to get wealthier are the politicians. Right, and Jay, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes I feel bad when I criticize the corrupt officials in Mexico and Central America, when we have it right here in America. So it's not just Central America and Mexico. It's here, too. So thank you for, for making that point. We're going to take uh, a so short we have- break. We are talking with Derek Maltz. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. When you get there, click like and follow. As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today 
Radio Show on Facebook. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We got so much great stuff to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Back to our conversation with Derek Maltz on the Law Enforcement Today Show. I want to give you a brief update for you just, just tuning in about Derek's resume and his background. He was a special agent in charge of the United States Department of Justice Special Operations Division for almost 10 years. He was a chief of the New York Drug Enforcement Task Force, which is the oldest and largest drug task force in America, the DEA. He is responsible for coordinating multi-agency efforts to result in the capture of Sinaloa cartel kingpin El Chapo Guzman. So when it comes to drug cartels and narco-terrorism, and there's a link that we'll talk about here, he knows what he is talking about. Not from books, from actual experience. You know, I was listening earlier, and you almost made me wish for the the good old days of like the French Connection, and you know we had heroin coming in from Europe, and it was distributed via Harlem to Baltimore and Philly and other areas, and it seemed to be so much simpler. Now it all seems to involve international politics. Right, and the other thing that's changed the game, Jay, that nobody talks about is the advanced communication systems out there that are being used by transnational criminals to get away with their crimes, right? So when you're using encrypted apps and you're using the WeChat in China and law enforcement's at a huge disadvantage because our laws in America are so antiquated, it puts law enforcement in a situation when they don't have the tools. You can't do a plumbing job in your house if you don't have the right tools, right? right. It's the same concept. You can't, you can't prevent all these crimes if you don't have the tools to infiltrate communications pursuant to court orders. But anyway, when it comes to these transnational threats, because of the Internet, they, they can communicate instantly, which puts us always in a reactionary mode, right? And as law enforcement agents, that's, that's uncomfortable. We're always reacting and trying to catch up. And that's a big problem, and that, that's overwhelming uh, the resources in our law enforcement agencies around America. So let's go back to the southern border. And the original part of the conversation was I was very concerned about how they're changing all the regulations at the southern border when it comes to immigration and illegal immigration, and in particular the fence or the wall, whatever you want to call it. Would finishing the wall make a big difference in your opinion? Listen, the wall, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, just listen to the experts that worked on the border for many, many years. The wall is an outstanding deterrent. It's going to force all the traffic through the POEs, which then enables CBP to put the best and brightest resources and the technology all in one place. So they no longer have to have guys on the ATVs in the middle of the night running across in between the point of entries. They're all going to be at the POEs, which, which, which actually increases the chances of discovering contraband and it forces everyone through the same place, right? So, so to me, it's not going to end. Our problems because the cartels will figure out other ways to get their contraband, but it's going to disrupt their activities and it's going to help our border patrol on the southwest border. Hundred percent. They'll find a way to smuggle stuff in. 
but there's a, a missing link that we haven't really talked about. There's a link between, and I remember this from our prior interview, a link between these drug cartels and uh, terror groups sneaking in munitions and weapons and bombs. That's, that's smuggled in a different way. Right. So, Jay, so let's make it clear to the listeners. So terrorists are increasingly turning to crime and criminal activity for their funding because they can't get their funding as they have been in the past with state-sponsored terrorism and stuff like that. So you look at Hezbollah, for example, as President Obama once said, the most technical, capable terrorist organization in the world. Well, they're all over the Western Hemisphere. We know that from drug cases and the DEA's work and other agencies' work for years. But we had a case, Project Cassandra, where the main target was indicted for moving the proceeds of 85,000 kilograms of Los Zetas Mexican cartel cocaine. And he was also involved with moving $200 million a month from used car businesses and other criminal activity uh, from the United States into West Africa, right? So these organizations are very sophisticated. They're all over our backyards here. We have used car businesses still operating here to support Hezbollah's activities. And anybody that knows anything about Hezbollah knows, like Michael Chertoff said in 2008, our Homeland Security Director said that Hezbollah makes al-Qaeda look like the minor leagues, just to put it in perspective. And Hezbollah is all over Venezuela. They're operating in Central America and Mexico. Look in the 2012 case against Abab Sior. He was the uh, subject arrested when the Houston DEA informant was approached by Abab Sior to blow up a restaurant in Washington, D.C. to kill the Saudi Arabian ambassador. This was a direct hit from the Quds Forces, which is a very, very secretive organization working with Iran that was operating in our country. And people were scratching their heads saying, how the hell is Hezbollah and Iran working in the America? Like, how are they so close? Meanwhile, this has been emerging for many years. If you listen to the testimony of the Supreme Allied Commander James Stavridis and General Kelly and other generals at Southcom, they watched the emergence of Hezbollah and the radical groups converging with the drug traffickers for many years in South America, in the tri-border region down there, and we're seeing more and more of that. And now with the tunnel systems that they have built on the southwest border, all right, so it's very alarming that people don't understand the uh, evolution of this problem, and they're not taking the time to learn it, because I thought at the end of the day, politicians' number one job should be protecting the citizens of the country. You would, and you would think that, and but then again, people love to throw out labels that they are somehow uh, nationalists or whatever, and everything's done in a negative way. And you know, I was thinking the other day, uh, I can't help but turn on the news, and when I do, I'm bombarded with reports of this is racist or that's offensive or this is that or you're a fascist or whatever it is. And all I'm thinking, Derek, is I try every day to just not be a jerk to anybody for any reason. That's all I do, and and all I'm being bombarded with all these. They make it sound like it's a mountain when it isn't. I'm a street cop, so ninety percent of what you talk about, I really don't understand, and it seems overwhelming. And I can't see the correlation, like many people I would suspect, between the fence or wall and decreasing this. But I know there's got to be a connection. 
Yeah, I mean, let's go back to your first comment. There's an old saying that I had growing up. My father taught me, you're supposed to be nice to people and you work hard. That's the success uh, recipe, right? Right. And when we say be nice to people, we're not talking about just white people. Right. We're talking about people. So the point is, is that when cops go out every day and they go to work and they put on their uniform, they say goodbye to their husbands and their wives, they go to protect people. Not white people, black people, yellow people, green people, purple people. They go out to protect people. They don't calculate, okay, this domestic call, I'm going to go, but I'm only going to go to the white person or the black person. They go to wherever they're called, and they go for the same purpose, to protect American people. So this rhetoric that has been going on is just totally unfair. It's not accurate. It's very misleading, and it's creating a divide. When I personally saw this country going in the right direction with a unity of our people, and that's the most important thing. We have to be together on all of these national security issues because they impact everybody's family, right? It doesn't impact one color, one race. It impacts everybody. So I'm very passionate about that because I see how men and women in uniform are going out every day and getting disrespected. They're getting mislabeled. And it's really unfair because the vast majority, 95% plus, are really American patriots that are trying to protect people. And it's really, really sad what's going on. And the, mass, you know, the national media is responsible for putting out these false messages. And I'm really, really passionate about that because I have lots of friends in law enforcement agencies all over this country. And, and I see the morale going down the tubes. I see people putting in their retirement papers. I see just people, they don't have the drive anymore to go out and make arrests because they're afraid of the media and they're afraid of social media. And that's not the way to protect people. And no, I really am not. concerned about that in the future. By the way, we had an article published at Law Enforcement Today. It's go to letradioshow.com. Uh, New York City, the largest police department in the United States, has record, record-breaking record mass exodus. It's 72% higher than what they expected. Derek, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for your passion. Thanks for all you do. It's all very much appreciated. Thank you for inviting me, Jay. Anytime, please let me know. I'll come back. Please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.